0: everybody, welcome to Mental Health TV, we're really pleased to have you with us tonight. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about uh, mental health and humour, which is going to be an interesting one, I think. So obviously I'm Nikki. Um let me just pass you over to Dave before we get started, so he can tell you how you can join in, ask questions, um, generally yeah, participate. Dave. Hi
1: everyone and yeah, welcome to tonight's MHTV. Uh, I am not Vanessa again. Uh, I, I, I don't know how many episodes I'll do this where I might turn into Vanessa, but it's not yet. Uh, So unfortunately, Vanessa can't join us tonight. So I have come in and substitute uh, and I'll be doing social media. So all our regular watchers will know that we love to hear from you, your comments, your questions. Uh, All you need to do is either post on the Facebook live chat uh, and obviously we'll pick up that or you can tweet us. All you need to do is use the hashtag MHTV. Uh, And we'll see them as well. Uh, And it'd be great to get some of your comments uh, into tonight's episode. I know I'm really looking forward to what we've got in front of us. So back over to you, Nikki.
0: Fantastic. All right, Matt, please, will you introduce yourself? Tell tell us about who you are and what your interest is in in mental health and humour.
2: Sure. Thanks, Nikki. Well, um, hi, everyone. Yes, I'm Matt Graham and I'm Senior Lecturer in Social Work at the University of Central Lancashire in Preston. Um, and I've been uh, working at UCLan um, for the last five years and then prior to that I worked at other universities as a a lecturer in social work and then prior to that I was a a mental health social worker in practice and many years ago I was something called an approved social worker and um, for me humour has always been really important on a kind of a personal and a professional level really because um, I think humour sustains us and and it keeps us going and it gives us uh, enjoyment and pleasure and it's a bit edgy sometimes Um, and from a sins I uh, decided um, to do a a PhD or start a PhD a couple of years ago where I'm looking at uh, particularly the subject of humour in education and how humour is understood by academics so what purpose does humour serve in relation to uh, um, you know teaching methods and and communicating important subjects Um, and I like a good laugh as well really
0: I'm not not funny though,
2: Nicky, it's it's important to remember, I'm not a funny person, I'm not a comedian, even though I like humour, you know, Mm -hmm. just because you're doing a a PhD in humour and thinking about humour, doesn't Mm -hmm. always make me um, someone who can crack jokes, so please don't ask me to tell a joke.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll see how we go, we'll see how we go. But tell us a little bit about why why you think humour is so central and such an interesting or key topic.
2: Well, I mean... Humour is something we can all relate to, um, whether we um, find ourselves to be people who enjoy humour or not. I mean, humour serves a, a function. Mm. Um, it, um, you know, the way I often see it is that humour has this kind of bio-psychosocial function, in as much that you know we we biologically react to humour. We, we all laugh at things. Um, no one really quite knows what causes laughter or, or why we laugh. It's something that mm. scientists have been trying to work out for for generations really but you know Mm. laughter does a couple of really important things it 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 makes us feel good it releases endorphins into our brains it gives us a bit of a high Um, it makes us um, feel happy Um, and because of that it improves our mental health and and, you know along with that you know if you're thinking about actually um, having a laugh with people it connects people so it has a social structure as well as much as a a biological and a psychological component Mm. to it. Um, And, you know, everyone has a view on humour. I mean, particularly Mm. at the moment, you know, humour sustains many of us, I think, during this pandemic and and, and during lockdown. Um, And everyone has a a view on what is offensive in humour or what is an okay joke to tell or not to tell. So I think regardless of, 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 you know, whether or not you um, are someone who likes telling jokes or likes Mm. having a laugh or likes to be a bit more serious about things, we all have an opinion on what humour is. So I I was really interested um, when it came up as a a topic. I was discussing it with a a couple of my colleagues at UCLan who came up with the idea that's perhaps what I should look at. And I thought, actually, that would be a really interesting topic um, Mm. because it's something I think we all engage with on some level at some point.
0: Mm, Absolutely. So I guess you're too new to have any kind of of findings or first thoughts on how it's been used in sort of education or health education?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, it's, there's, there's, there's a lot of literature out there about it. I mean, I think humour is used a lot in education. It's used to, um, I think, soften complex messages sometimes. It's, it's used to portray information in a way that people can relate to. Um, it breaks the ice. You know, we all have these things called icebreakers. Even though mm. I'm not a fan of icebreakers per se before sessions, because they're always a bit awkward. You know, but I think it does. You know, it does something to make you feel a bit human, really. And um, you know, we all like to watch something or learn from somebody who can mm. make us laugh. You know, we all like mm. a good laugh, don't we? Really. And mm. and you know, I I, I really enjoy trying to use humor. I'm not always good at it. And there are times I have completely died on my backside when I've used humor in teaching. Um, but I think it's a way that it, you know, it's a way of engaging people. And it's yeah. and, and sometimes things are just funny, aren't they? It's naturally funny to laugh about something. Um being mindful um, of yeah. what we laugh at. Yeah.
0: Tell us a little bit more maybe about the the idea about there being benefits and, and maybe some issues professionally speaking with human using humor
2: yeah I mean, I mean i suppose when i think about humor there's there's kind of two ch- types of humor i suppose there's what we might call adaptive humor and, mm. and maladaptive humor and, and for me kind of you know adaptive humor is humor that kind of you know has an affiliation that, that connects you with people um and if someone finds something funny you know that that that's a that's a good thing because actually, you know, you're thinking to yourself, "Well, yeah, I can engage with that person. I can relate to that person. Um, they have the same sense of humour as me, and that, that works." And education, it kind of, you know, it connects you with students. You know, it's, it's a good way of, um, you know, um, I suppose, aligning with students on a particular subject. Mm. But you I mean, like all things, really, you've you've got to watch it because what you might find funny, others might not find funny. And that's when it trips over into what we might call maladaptive humour, um, which kind of can be aggressive humour. It can be kind of self um, self-defeating humour, um, and humour that some people might find um, unpleasant. You know, and mm. if you're laughing at people rather than laughing with people, that can be slightly awkward. Even though some people actually might like being laughed at, because sometimes it can be funny if something, you know if somebody does something wrong or something goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that can be amusing. Um, so I think, you know, it, 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 it has to be considered carefully. Um, I mean, I remember I was um, invigilating a, an exam and the chair that I was sitting on collapsed, it just completely broke. Um, and everyone in the room just laughed. Um, Some people thought, actually, can I laugh at that or not laugh at that? And actually, I thought it was really funny, and I laughed, and the person who I was invigilating with had to leave the room because they thought Mm. it was hilarious. Um, Mm. But what was interesting was I I looked at some of the students in the room, some people laughed, and others just looked at me awkwardly thinking, if I laugh, will that mean that I'm going to get in some kind of trouble? Because I laughed because his chair broke. Mm. So again, it's a psychological thing, because some people sort of say, well, actually, can I... Can I join in with that or is it not mm. safe to join in with that you know what's what's the kind of barometer mm. that I have to check out you said
0: about four or five really it, things that are just like bouncing out to me do you mind if we to stop and go back yeah think... sure sure yeah <laughs> so one of the things is when you when we um make an affiliation with someone because they have the same sense of humor as us because that's a really interesting thing isn't it Where, uh, you hear that all the time so I love saying, say they have the same sense of humor so they laugh at the same stuff as me but it's it's not really just about humour, is it? It's it's a match of culture and values and personality, yeah, yeah, you know. So yeah. to tune into someone's humour is actually quite a highly functioning skill. Yes. To tell a joke that fits that the person your audience is actually quite skillful. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's right. It requires and an
0: assessment first, doesn't it? An empathy yeah, and understanding is. and cultural yeah. dexterity. Yeah,
2: yeah, and it's complex, you know. It, it's it's really complex because you've got to you know, you can't assume that you understand people or Mm. you can get the humour right. And Mm. there is a massive cultural component to it. Mm. Um, And, you know, when you you research humour, you're essentially entering into kind of ethnographic study by looking at um, Mm. demographics, looking at cultures, looking at people Mm. and how they, um, you know, kind of, work with each other and, and form bonds with each other. And I mean, humor goes wrong when you're not reading the room correctly. Yeah. That, that's the thing. And, or you're yeah. not reading the person correctly.
0: And that's um, one of the things that can make it so funny, when you see something happening that's really awkward. I'm yeah. sure we have all done it. You, you go out with a blinder and it just is like, oh, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> you see somebody else do it and you feel for them, because we've all been there. We've all done that thing where we try and sort of eat tension and it's the wrong time. Absolutely. And I think particularly when you're a young practitioner, maybe we can talk a little bit about, you know, because you're right, you know, humour is is used as a therapy, which is an interesting idea as well. This idea that you can have laughter therapy, which yeah. I always find a bit odd. I think it feels a bit too formalized for my taste, but whatever, if it makes someone feel better. And then yeah. you've got studies saying that it actually reduces pain in some people, which I think is also really, really interesting. This idea that it's actually a kind of cognitive function of connection, which actually reduces physical distress, which is, again, looking at the kind of complexity of it. But what sort of, um, if, if, if you had a, a new practitioner, be a mental health or nurse or social worker, who was saying to you, you know, when when can I use humour and when should I just, Mm-mm. <laughs> what would you say the basic rules are for that?
2: I think, well, I suppose I, I think back to my early days in practice as a social worker, I suppose, and 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 how I've perhaps grown to understand people as the years have gone by I think it's about just kind of checking out the temperature of what's going on around you really and whether it feels safe to do something and if you feel yourself that it it isn't okay to do it then just don't do it use your own gut feeling really around that Um, but most of the time you know if you're working with somebody who is really struggling with a particular situation. Say, for example, someone's really upset about something or feeling particularly low about something. Um, you know, a little bit of uh, humour actually goes down really well, and people quite like that. Um, but again, you've got to you've got to kind of measure it and, and read that. But I would just say, test it out. You know, you, that the whole beauty of practice is if we get things wrong, we learn from it, and, and we try to get things better or at mm. least right next time. Um, I mean, there's loads of examples of when I have used humour to a devastating effect.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Devastating good or devastating bad? Devastating
2: bad. Never never devastatingly good, it has to be said. When it's completely backfired on me and Mm. I've caused offence and upset. Looking um, forward to the rest
0: of this chat.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly, yeah. And I've got it completely wrong. Um, But you learn from that and you just think to yourself, yeah, you know, you've just got to kind of put some checks and measures in there. Um, But I think most of the time people people want to laugh about something and it does, it relieves tension. It's a great tension reliever.
0: Um, Mm. Yeah,
2: yeah, some people say humour is the best medicine. It quite often is, really.
0: I think what you say about going slowly is really important. You know, if you think you can fly, start from the pavement, don't start from the 20th floor. Yes. You know, so sort of edge, edge into it, and I, I think as well, if somebody is distressed or angry, don't go there. Don't yeah. think, oh, we can we can laugh it off. Don't, yeah. don't go there. absolutely, particularly if it's someone you don't know that well.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's I mean that's something you pick up on. If you if you're mm. an outsider and you're watching someone use humour and it is going wrong, mm. usually what you're seeing is is the individual who's trying to be humorous isn't mm. reading the the environment. They're not yeah. picking up on it and they're not knowing when to stop either. And then just, you know, people dig a hole for themselves, which I've, I've done several times by trying to then get out of the joke I'm telling or the, the humorous um, situation. Um, but That's often my
0: favourite part of a joke gone wrong, though, watching, watching someone dig their way through to Australia. <laughs> I quite enjoy that. Yeah. Thinking, is someone going to step in here and stop this?
2: Well, it's, yeah, exactly. it should be me. And it, well, it, it becomes, um, it's almost addictive. It's, it's like yeah. watching um, something really horrific unfolding in front of you, really. Everyone's drawn to that kind of thing, you know, when yeah. something goes wrong. And, and as, a, as a lecturer, you see that a lot because if, if a student, for example, says something which might be a bit edgy or other students might think, you know, well, I don't know if they should be saying that.
0: Yeah,
2: you feel thinking, it you feel it and you and you you get every student look at you they look at you yeah,
0: as to find out what you're gonna part. do yeah yes yeah,
2: yeah. So the thing can...
0: i enjoy the most is so suppose you've got um back in the days when we used to have classrooms everyone would be sort of sat like this and then someone would say something edgy and everybody would just isolate that person and they'll be like they're all alone in the room even though no one technically moved you could just see everyone Yes. Like, yeah. oh no, okay. poor guy. Exactly.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And then you can, you know, if if you can then use that,
0: mm. um,
2: to then have a humorous moment. You know, you might then laugh with the person mm. about something. Um, but again, you yeah. gotta you gotta read that.
0: So there is something about permission as well. So when you were saying like that, you, your chair broke. you, you it's there, there's the embarrassment factor there. That sometimes people laugh just because it's a social reaction, isn't it? And often those are not good times to laugh but yeah. also that checking checking out to see how you're going to respond to it, but also if you're hurt, because everyone's had the urge to laugh and then actually, oh, my God, they actually are quite seriously hurt. So there is a lot of different factors going on when you decide whether to laugh or not or something.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, very much so. And, um, yeah, and it's all about communication. I mean, all that mm-hmm. comes from communication. All that comes from, from you know, looking at the person who's been aggrieved by something or looking at how other people are laughing about something. Mm-hmm. And, um, and th- this is when... You know people get the giggles and then people Mm. laugh about things because it's this ripple effect isn't it across the room um particularly in social work you know social workers try really hard to understand people to the best of their ability you know social Mm. work is all about working with people during very difficult times to try and help Mm. people to understand their own situations so mm. I, I would say that the best social workers I know are the ones who use humour really well and find things really funny. Mm. People who use services and laugh with people, don't laugh at people. And and it's a great way also of managing power imbalances as well.
0: Absolutely. So that's, um, that's I think, really important with what you're saying about, you know, punching up, not punching down. You know, it's not funny to laugh at because you've got a power gradient going down. Laughing no. with somebody or having a joke with somebody is fine and laughing at your boss is always acceptable of course don't
2: get caught don't get caught <laughs> <laughs> don't get caught yeah 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 but i think that, that's right and it, it well i suppose it also it's about vulnerability as well and it's mm. about being able to articulate a defense for yourself i don't necessarily you know we talk about punching up and and you could you could even argue from a, an equality perspective should humor be punching at anybody regardless of what power position they're in yeah but there is a privilege that comes with power, which is you often have the mechanism to defend yourself and to maybe do something back to kind of, you know, try and have one of those kind of touche moments. Mm. Um, but, you know, people who are, who are particularly vulnerable in a particular situation, laugh with, you know, that's, that's the important part there. Um, but also as well, you know, individuals um, who are really struggling at any particular given time for something, Um, may want permission to punch up and maybe need to support that as well, I guess. Because, you know, Mm -hmm. if if, if an individual is very aggrieved by something and is really struggling with something, they might want to actually crack a joke about the person that's aggrieving them. Should you then be laughing with that person uh, or saying, hang on, that's not really a good thing to do? Um, I don't have a problem necessarily with laughing with people about Mm -hmm. other people if it (laughs) supports that individual through a particular moment.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we're kind of getting to the stage where we're thinking about humour maybe sometimes as something kind of dangerous as well. I mean, anytime you sort of see um the risks associated with humor and also the fact that people in power really like it, to be laughed at, rarely like it. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it even the plot of the name of the rose? The most dangerous book in the world <coughs> is actually a book of humour. Oh, so yes, yeah, yeah, so,
2: yeah, something like that. Yeah. Well, it is. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's loads. I mean, I've got loads of books on humour and um you know, I mean, one particular good book is this famous by Peter McGraw and Joel Warner of the Humor Code, and and mm. it talks about understanding when when humor's okay or not really. But for me, um, I mean, at the moment, there's a big thing about offensive humor, and offensive humor needn't be toxic humor. And and what I'm looking at quite a bit in in my literature um, search is that toxic humour kind of essentially has three strands to it, really. You know, it's humour that denigrates, it maligns people mm. and it belittles people. And I suppose the question you've got to ask yourself if, if those things are happening is, is it actually funny? You know, is mm. that funny? Mm. Um, but does it serve another purpose? I mean, an example of that, Nikki, is, um, you know, Ricky Gervais, when he was, when he does his, um, you know, he was doing his Golden Globes introduction. Oh, yeah right now what's interesting about that is is there were no jokes he didn't tell any jokes it was just insult after insult after insult but what made i think that funny for people was it released some kind of tension a nervous tension and people laugh at those kind of jokes because it, it, it people might find it funny because um it releases you to do something a bit risque and a bit edgy So it's kind of a psychological release to maybe laugh at something which others might feel, or even your own barometer says you shouldn't be laughing at. Um, But is there anything funny about really belittling somebody from Mm. a particular group? Probably not. Mm. But does it feel good to laugh about that? Some people might say, yes, it does. So it serves a psychological function. So Ricky Gervais, for example, would say, well, actually, we have a right to say things that are offensive mm. um, and have a right to laugh about those things. But it's certainly not something I would, um, in a lecture, start getting into the realms of putting that way.
0: The, d- the, the different <laughs> types of uh, experience, though, aren't they? I mean, if a lecturer stood at the front... Of a, a group of students who paid nine grand for the privilege and basically laid into the way they look, who they love, how much they earn—all that would be a problem. It'd be a problem yeah, because we, yeah, because we—that's not our function. Our function yeah. is about um, supporting and growth and things like that. But I think what's interesting about the Ricky Gervais stuff is basically he's he has got the privilege of the fool. Do you know that? that what I mean by that—that that yeah. idea of that—if somebody has like the court jester role, they can speak truth to power. They can say what they want. So when he sort of looks at George Clooney and he was making jokes about... when he was in that space movie? And he was saying, oh my God, George Clooney's been trapped in a sort of confined space with a woman his own age. He's had to blast himself into space because it's so appalling for him. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like... And at the time he was like dating some waitress or something who's like 20. And, and basically he's just said something that's absolutely true. Yeah. And that would, I would imagine, mm. be a challenge for a lot of the people in that audience to sort of sit and tolerate. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. So it's
0: not really... The purpose of it is not really to to make people laugh like a joke, is it? It's not about making people feel comfortable. It's about using his privilege to, which is, you know, his position, wow. to explore discomfort. Which really wouldn't be a nurse or social worker's role. So when we use humour, we're using it in a completely different way. I think as and in education as well. I think I think we are social to, commentary almost, isn't it? Under yeah,
2: yeah. That, that's right. Yeah, and we we also haven't got the money to defend ourselves in a law of court like he has. He <laughs> got sued for something. But but I mean, it's not our place to do that. But maybe it's our place to also try and build resilience in mm. individuals or with individuals by. Mm using humour to kind of um, enable people to gain strength in themselves, mm. Mm. Um, you know, and I'm, I remember working with a student once who was very upset by a service user who was very unwell and he was, um, you know, um, he was detained under the mental health phase he a very unwell man who was just saying things to the student that were really upsetting. And, you know, and I said to her, Look, that's not okay and, and I'm really sorry that happened. And, you know, I don't um, uh, condone at all what, what happened there. But it is something that does happen when people are very unwell, um, mm-hmm. sometimes, and and you're working with people within the realms of the Mental Health Act. So building resilience to that is actually something that's really important. And afterwards, mm. we actually did laugh about it. Mm. And you know, when the student was actually able to laugh about it, we did laugh about it because there were some things that he said which were, you know, post-event. Oh my goodness! Yeah, interest, really. Some of the
0: things that have been said to me in practice are.
2: Yes. Yeah, you I mean, I've,
0: I've always quite enjoyed that side of it, but I know that there are a lot of people who find it really difficult. Yeah. But yeah. I guess right. one of the things we're talking about with humour is this idea that you can give a difficult message. It's almost like a sugar coating for a difficult message. So when Ricky Gervais uses it, he uses it in that kind of like sledgehammer social commentary way. But right. in a therapeutic setting, you might use it in a way to help somebody to understand or learn or grow or challenge something that maybe they find difficult because yeah. you're not picking pomposity, are you? In those circumstances, you're, you're being very gentle with it.
2: Yeah. You can yeah. use it
0: quite like a scalpel, can't you, rather than a
2: yeah. and big, I think, big
0: chopping knife.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's I think so. And I think some of the greatest comedians, you know, if I think if I look at the comedians that I like,
0: mm.
2: um they they were all really complex people. Mm. And um their humor supported them and enabled them to kind of get a sense of connectedness with themselves and, and the world around them and to understand the world around them. Um, you know, you look at someone like Kenneth Williams, for example, who was who mm. a, a really, really funny man. In his own time and his own space, he found very little funny. In fact, he was a mm. really tortured soul and really, really struggled with depression. And mm. um, you know, it um, was believed he died by suicide in you know mm. in, in the eighties. So, but his humour, he 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 understood he, he, his world through his humour, mm. and he used self denigrating humour really, really well. Mm. in order to connect with people so most of his humor was about his physical health problems and he was quite open about those mm. um so understanding humor and understanding mm. how you connect with humor really is therapeutic for your own thinking mm. and your own mind because it connects you with who you are as a person mm. and it connects you with other people as well
0: mm. um, we need to come to dave i think in a little bit because there's um questions coming in and i'm sure you, you don't have a chance to say anything yet Did you want to pop
1: in? Yeah, I I, I suppose I've been thinking lots about the stuff that you've been saying so far. And I think one of the things that I was really interested in is this idea about how we we as health professionals or as social care professionals can create space to use humour positively for ourselves, but actually do it in a way that doesn't kind of insult or doesn't cause problems or, you know, upset The people that we're caring for, Uh, and just to give you an example, when I was a student nurse uh, on a, I think it was a cardiac ward, and a nurse came into the breakout room and just said some really kind of, you know, what you could say was awful things about one of the patients that he was looking after. Actually, I think it was a relative that uh, he was looking after, Uh, and kind of, you know. It was actually someone i knew you know from outside that and i kind of said you know it's someone i know that uh and it was just interesting that kind of bit about how do we get off our chests you know when we feel so distressed and upset about things but do it you know kindly sensitively not to to kind of you know cause insult to people and, and at the end of the day remember that if we are sort of making fun of people that we're caring for how would we feel if those people heard that, you know, when it is in a breakout room? So I, I don't know if you've got any thoughts about that, Matt.
2: Yeah, Well, yes, I mean, I, I, it's, to me it's about knowing what your space is and knowing where you can say certain things. And it's a really, it's a really, really difficult one, because I would say that, you know, as professionals, you, you've, you've got to use your professional space professionally it might be a sense that you use your outside space um, in a way to release some of that tension. Um, now, would, it, would I, for example, feel able to say, if you are going to say things about people, just make sure people aren't listening, you know? That, that probably wouldn't be good professional advice because <laughs> there's something there about your own inner values and whether or not actually, um, you know, should you be doing those things anyway? Um, but it's just about being sensible and it's just about knowing who's there and what is okay and what, what isn't okay to say. But I suppose, you know, we all have our own inner thoughts and, um, you know, in fact, I was reading um, some some research earlier on about some of the functions of toxic humour, which is what you might be kind of describing there, um, Dave, really. And, um, and it, it, it's a way for people to release prejudice and to check in with their own prejudices, and their own thoughts around that. Um, and people actually say that that using toxic humor or at least engaging in toxic humor supports them to really check out the things they struggle with. So that maybe they can try and rectify that and do something about that. Um, supervision. Social workers are really, really good at supervision and, you know, social work, the social work profession probably are the champions of, of really good supervision and using supervision really really well in practice and and i know (laughs) a lot of fantastic social work managers out there and and senior practitioners advanced practitioners who use supervision and say to their their supervisees you know this is safe space to talk about things but you've got to know where that line is in the sand as a professional social worker and just not engage in things that are cruel or nasty Mm. Um, but i think it would be naive to say that some conversations in supervision. Um, don't get close, but I would think that the supervisor or the you probably manage that and 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 you know kind of check that out really and say we need to kind of not not go there with that one.
1: Yeah, and and I think that that's really good advice there. And I suppose while you were talking, I was just thinking about Mickey's role as as a lecturer. You know about how you can kind of you know when students do, do say things that are inappropriate, how you can kind of pull them back. From that brink, and to sort of support them, so they realise that the impact that that has, and and just thinking about, you know, I've been doing quite a bit of work at a vaccination centre with lots of people that are now working in the NHS, but have only recently come into the NHS, and are saying, you know, at times inappropriate things to members of the public who are coming in to, you know, receive healthcare and there's times where you just so desperately wished you hadn't overheard what they've said because Mm. then you wouldn't have to do anything about it but hearing it as a health professional and and kind of saying well actually that isn't appropriate what you've just said and you know can you just make sure you don't say that in future and how you do that in a way where you're not kind of you know destroying people's you know the, the kind of the bridges and everything but you're doing it in a way that makes it clear that you know we've got to treat people with respect because that's what we all deserve so i I don't know nick have you got any thoughts in terms of you know when you come across students that have kind of i think there's a
0: couple of things isn't it if you're in an environment where well people call it toxic human don't they where it's just brutal that for me is a sign that this is not that's not a laughing matter for me because i've been through systems like that and it's get the heck out particularly for young practitioners i know it sounds really awful and you should always Absolutely, always report it, but don't don't stay and become corrupted by it. That cruelty, that unkindness, that burnout, that tiredness. You know, it's too much for one person to change by themselves, particularly if they're a junior practitioner. So my advice would be, is, you know, see it like the canary in the coal mine. If you're seeing that kind of humour, which is, I mean, everyone can make an ill-time joke, everyone can be frustrated, but if you're seeing constant bullying and harassment dressed up as comedy, it isn't.
1: Yeah. And and I I, I think one of the things I would say as well is that, you know, I I think, Nikki, you're such a great Mm -hmm. example of someone who's hilariously funny but really kind with it. And, you know, I I, I remember sort of... A bit worried now
0: about what's going to happen now. <laughs> but, no,
1: no. But, but I, 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 do, I do think that, that some people just get it right and other people get it really wrong. So but isn't yeah, that
0: something, I, when you say about feeding back, isn't that just like any type of communication? Any time when you're getting really close emotionally to people, and that's what comedy is, isn't it? You were saying about that it's a, a, communi- a connection between people, yeah. particularly a connection based on sort of shared values. If you're making that connection and you misjudge it you apologize like you would do if you accidentally stepped on someone's foot yeah. you know it's stepping on someone's feelings isn't really that much different if you keep doing it then the person can quite legitimately suggest that you're just someone who stamps on them and it's not
2: exactly yeah. it's not
0: okay but if the odd stumble and blunder is human isn't it
2: yeah and you know apologize and you know when you've upset someone you know you know yeah. you, you and know, you also and
0: can it's... tell if someone was just clumsy or whether they meant to be rude When I was uh, working in practice at the end, you know, when you, uh, at the end, sounds terrible. Um, I'd started work for a trust and then, like, seven years later, I still got the same badge. So you can imagine that the fresh faced person who bounced in after having a year in Australia, which I would had at the time, to the person who staggered out the other end of those seven years, I looked quite different. And one of the uh, services I met in the corridor, I said, Oh, you know, it's my last day today. And he said, It's just as well. It's just as well. I was looking at your badge and this place has robbed you of your youth. I was like, oh, it, has, it really has. <laughs> but it was like, it wasn't meant unkindly. It was an abject description of like the Jekyll and Hyde thing that was going on looking at these two pictures. It was just like, yeah. it literally was like my, my identity badge had become like the picture of Dorian Gray. It was yeah. terrifying.
2: <laughs> but it was done with a humorous intent, wasn't it? Was it? it was
0: done with just perfect honesty. That's what yeah. makes it so funny. Yeah, the Sometimes anger. when you're talking to people and they don't have that filter
2: right, yeah, and that's that's what it's. So to me, it's you know, yes. it's it's about is it actually funny? What's the purpose of it? Mm. And I mean, there have been times when I've I've you know called people out and I said, yeah, but what you are saying it's not even funny. It's just it's just unpleasant. It's not even mm. funny. And so if you are trying to make a joke of something um, that is really stabbing someone mm. uh, in the heart and and kind of really bringing that person down, yeah. at least try and have a purpose to it and make it funny. You know, mm. otherwise you just a completely fail comedian there. So just pack it up. But mm. it goes back, you know, back to what you said earlier on about: is this the role for you? If your, um, you know, if your thoughts about people that, that professionals work with is to, you know, um, just reduce and denigrate and be unpleasant about, then this is not the job for you as a practitioner, really. Mm. Um, but, but you know, it's, and, and again, you know, I, I mean, I remember vividly um, <laughs> some while back a student said to me, can I ask a stupid question? And I said, um, don't forget, there's no such thing as a stupid question, just stupid people. And um, and the look I got made me realise that perhaps I shouldn't have said that. But inwardly, I kind of thought it was a bit funny because mm-hmm. it wasn't aimed at that student or anyone else. It's something that I heard,
0: mm-hmm. and when
2: I heard, I really laughed at the person saying it, but I didn't quite get the reaction myself. So again, was, was it toxic? I... I don't think it I don't was. Think it was toxic. No, was it offensive? I think they were offended, so probably mm. a little bit. Mm. Um, would I do it again? Maybe would I read the room better? Absolutely. So
0: you know. You're with that. Try, try, fail, fail better. That's your model. Then.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So
0: one of one of the things before, because I'm sure there's some comments that that Dave wants to bring in from from people watching. But one of the things I think the best use of humor in mental health is service users about services and staff the number of people who are service user reps people because we had the radical zines on we had asylum magazine on we made mention of dolly sends amazing amazing gags wow. um all those sorts of things i think are really important and if if you take nothing from this please please look up you know kind of the radical zines stuff look up um people who rightly call out services for their insensitivity sometimes. Um, my, we were talking last week, one of the, my favorite favorite Dolly Sen artworks, installations, activisms is the Trip Advisor uh, review of the Maudsley Hospital, which is, is sweet because I'm so glad it never happened to me. I would have hated it to happen to me, but I do think it's funny when it happens <laughs> to somebody else. So, yeah. But it, it's beautiful because it's absolutely punching up. It's absolutely making a really interesting point. It doesn't take out anybody personally, but it says quite a lot about the issues, the issues and about expectations and about human experience. And all those things that are really important. It's clever. It's smart. It's funny. Um, yeah, that's the kind of stuff I like to see,
2: and it's intelligent and it's appropriate. And I, you know, I've got uh, I've got memories of um, service users and patients in in mental health wards absolutely going some corkers. I mean, really funny observations about services. Mm. Um, and I'm and I think it's I think it's just great to see. And i you mm. know, it's great that we've got so much writing about it at the moment um, from a service user perspective. Mm. Yeah.
0: It's really important, I think, in, in terms of balancing power out. It's very important to consider whether you deserve the power that you have. and I think one of the things that when you when you read critiques of you know how it might feel, how this experience might feel for somebody else, it really changes the way that you can hear that information you know sometimes if you just get a critique of you know this is this is not good, that's a problem, this is an issue it can be quite hard to take the information on. but I think when you read just points that people make and quite rightly raise quite legitimately raise and yeah. Um, yeah. I was—I saw a touching the other day that was about um, saying, you know, a cup of tea and a bath is the mental health nurse's version of thoughts and prayers. And I was like, "Yeah, yeah I'm not going to do anything." Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was just—it was just stuff about that kind of just gentle sort of chiding, bringing you back to yourself, stopping yourself being so kind of grandiose about you know practice and remembering what your role is, which is to support people, not to lord it over them. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Dave, is there anything that the people
1: are saying on online? There is now. Was very terrible last time because instead of sort of bringing those questions in, I just sort of talked about my own thoughts. So did, let's actually... cycle back. Yeah, <laughs> good. Thank you. Let <laughs> let, let let's kind of go to to the public now. So, uh, Lois, uh, they've said that you're fab. So you know, good sort of support from a colleague. At, I'm assuming from you, Clan. So uh, you know, uh, I, I'm sure you want to hear that. Uh, nice. uh, Great. Uh, and then we've had a few comments from Alfonso Uh, obviously Alfonso is a friend of the show uh, from Italy he's talked about uh, how humour is so interesting from a cultural perspective I remember when I moved to London from Italy I struggled with British humour but after 13 years here I couldn't live without it Uh, it's certainly something that we think that we're very proud of in terms of British humour so I suppose it's good to hear that someone from another country agrees with that Uh, We've got Lovelace. She's made a few comments. Uh, Humour, especially from culture, can be very funny. I laugh a lot if it's something I don't understand through communication. Uh, but also, uh, Lovelace, I think this would be punching is that punching up, I think, because she's saying that Rory is, is hilarious. I, I've met oh, yeah. Rory, and, and I can confirm that as well.
0: That's true.
1: Uh, so, uh, and then the other thing, Alfonso's coming with a question. Uh, There's two questions I wanted to raise with you. So this is the first one. Uh, Do you think that humour is discipline specific? I mean, we use a lot of humour in mental health within professional boundaries, of course. Would other disciplines' professionals use humour in their jobs teaching? So is there any difference? Well, the other one I want you to think about is from Helen Spandler, who's a guest from last week. And she says, great episode. What do you think of Fraser's comeback? I don't think I know what that is. Am I showing my real ignorance there? So just two questions for you to take there.
2: Right, yeah. Um, so what was the first so first one from Alfonso? Sorry, sorry. So Alfonso is he was in saying
0: discipline specific.
2: Right, discipline specific. Um I don't think it is. I think it I, I think you you learn, I think you I think you learn to become part of your professional culture. So if you have that kind of humor, you might end up losing it. Um, I mean, I've only ever worked in social care. I think mental health social workers have a particularly dry sense of humor. Um, and I've only ever worked in mental health social work. And um, there's something that there's a culture, I think, in, in mental health, um, social work of, uh, of of dry humor and seeing, um, seeing things that, shouldn't be funny are probably funny um and I can't I mean I can't really give any examples of that but I suppose it's just kind of um laughing at the silliness of psychiatry sometimes I think social workers sometimes laugh at the silliness of language within psychiatry so for example when you know perhaps doctors talk about non-compliance social workers might laugh at that and say hang on a minute you know using non-compliant isn't that actually someone just making their own self-determining choice? And they might just laugh about that and and think that's quite amusing. Um, I I don't know, really. I mean, nurses, I think nurses are a good laugh sometimes. I've had a laugh with a couple of nurses before. Not many, not many, but some. And um, uh, doctors, are doctors funny, maybe, sometimes. Is it, I mean, is it it Um, discipline-specific? I'm not sure it is, but I think there are types of humour that align to certain roles. I think. Um That's interesting. And, and you see that in mental health teams uh, quite a bit, I think, particularly amongst the social workers, in mm. my experience. Yeah. I
0: think there's something about the exposure to kind of the raw side of humanity, which <clears throat> which brings out a desperate need to laugh sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I've had days in nursing where I've I've laughed and I've cried like heartily yeah. Yeah. Uh, almost at the yeah. same time yeah. because what you're seeing is funny and awful and tragic and amazing and it's a lot to emotionally process, and you're right, we don't always spend the time that we should getting supervision and those other things, yeah. but also, you know, the function of humour is is connective, it's bonding, isn't it, so it's natural for it to happen very much so in close teams, like it is, you have like family sense of humours, you, know, you have friend friend groups have very specific sense of humours, or catchphrases, or things like that, which bring you together, and that's one of the jobs yeah. of it isn't it yeah, that's
2: right yeah and and you want to in laugh.
0: jokes think of in jokes running jokes
2: yeah yeah, yeah. indeed yeah and and the, the, you know the, the the team um you know the team office camaraderie is really important as well because life is so ridiculous isn't it life is so ridiculous but it's 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 more ridiculous for, for some people some people have just really difficult lives mm. and um everything is a challenge because life is so unfair and unequal um and the only way that you can often guide someone through a really really difficult moment in their life is when you finish doing that piece of work just to have a laugh about something um you know with Mm -hmm. colleagues about that um but i I mean i I think i've been very lucky to work with lots of people who find lots of things funny you know Mm -hmm. um and i feel very privileged to have shared my professional um career with service users who have really made me laugh because they are just naturally intelligent, funny people who have said some fantastic things, or have a character about them which is naturally funny because um, they just do things. Uh, people might do things, for example, that um, just 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 are humorous. You know, or say things that are humorous, and individuals laugh themselves at that. Um, so I feel very, I feel very fortunate, and and the UCLAN, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people at UCLAN that make me laugh. Helen Spanner is one of them because mm. Helen's a good laugh, and Helen actually um, was pivotal in me thinking about the subject of humour.
0: Um, mm. So, what kid. do you think of the Fraser comeback? Frasier's is coming back. You know, Fraser. Oh, Fraser, the, the, oh, the, Fraser,
2: programme? the, the TV program. Yeah, I never.
0: It better I've, have Niles. If it doesn't have Niles, what's the point? No,
2: is that yeah. Well, is also, it, do um, we
0: need another? You know. Forgive me, guys. Oh, white guy comedy stuff. Yeah, <laughs> do, no, know, do we need it? Yeah. <laughs> do we? Like gone, all that was. It was very monocultural, wasn't it? It was very intellectual. It was. It was great, but it it's was very nineties.
2: Yeah, very nineties and very typical American comedy. In as much that so they always have to explain the joke. Now I think to go back to Dave, Dave's point about um, Alfonso said about British culture. One thing that's quite good with British humour is is that is that Brits don't often explain the joke. So, in, oh, in thank com- God, I
0: can't. Bear comedy. If you, if, you
2: look, if you look at Brit comedy, they will leave a joke hanging because the beauty of understanding that joke is you work it out yourself. But if you want to to get a classic example of explaining the joke, Friends is the one. They always have to explain the joke in Friends. And it irritates me. Mm. Let it hang. Mm.
0: Mm. I think, for me, the thing that made me laugh the most, probably, is what we do in the shadows. I loved the movie, and I've loved the TV series. They're filming another one now. The Werewolves, Not Swearwolves. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I was, the thinking thing about that kind of antipathy kiwi Australian kind of sense of humour, I think goes very similar to kind of Brit humour.
2: It does. And another, and another thing I think we're really good at as well um, in, in the UK is humour that's also got pathos within the same, yeah. the same moment. Um, yeah. You know, where there's sadness and humour working together mm. to make you laugh at the absurdity of life. Mm. And steptoe and some, Gordon Simpson mm. steptoe and some is brilliant for that. Mm. In Ricky Gervais, *Credit to with Afterlife and mm. The Office, there was sadness there, moments of great hilarity as well. I think Afterlife, I really like Afterlife. It just makes me laugh. Mm. Um, but it's also really sad as well.
0: Mm. So and there's some cute humour that pushes too far from I just, I find it too painful to watch. So yeah. there was an episode with Steve Coogan, um, he was obviously being Alan, what's this, What's the character he plays, the radio guy? Partridge. Alan Partridge. Yeah. And he was on a date which was already agonising to watch. And they ended up going to a bird sanctuary. And there's just this kind of owl sort of tied to a stick in the middle of this field with the wind coming in horizontally and raining. And he's trying to, like, seduce this woman. It was so awful. I just couldn't watch it. It just took me, I was just so emotionally uncomfortable. I just felt for the guy so much
2: we all know an Alan Partridge. I mean we all we all know an Alan Partridge, don't we? Or a David yeah. Brent. Everybody knows yeah. that that awkward <laughs> It might be me. I'm a bit David Brent like. I think <laughs> I'm funny than I am. I, wasn't pointing at you. <laughs> I
0: think
2: I am. I think I am. But we all know we all know a David Brent and we all know Alan Partridge, don't we? We all know an individual that actually um does just ridiculous things that we just find funny when they're not actually meaning to be funny. Um, Look, a good
0: part will get you a long way, I think.
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: indeed. A few, a few bastos online saying that she's been revisiting all the classic um, uh, sitcoms too, and loved Afterlife. But there's something as well, I think, about the familiarity of an old, an old show that made you laugh before. That the kind of humour takes you back to that place as well, that warmth, that yeah, comfort. Yeah. So rather than sort of like branching out on some new, kind of incredibly trying and challenging experience, a lot of people have been comfort watching.
2: Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, it does, it, it connects you with um, the time that you were watching it. So, you know, I, I always, if I watch some of the old 1970s stuff or the 80s stuff, you know, um, you know, Tommy Cooper, for example, I think of my dad, who I was mm. really close to and he died a few years ago. Mm. My dad thought Tommy Cooper was hilarious and I think Tommy Cooper's hilarious. So when I watch Tommy Cooper, I laugh really with Tommy Cooper, but I was thinking my dad laughing as well. Mm. So it, it, it really is a wonderfully psychological function on every mm. level. Um,
1: but one of the things I wanted to say about that, though, and I think it's interesting to, about, you know, you can look back and, and, and remember old favourites that, like, me and my wife uh, watched Hello, Hello again at the start of lockdown, because that's something yeah. that we loved as kids. Uh, And you know it was so great to watch it again, but some parts of the humor you thought, no, actually, that's that's really not right. And you know, some really, you just want to kind of wish that you hadn't watched it again because it tarnished some of the memories. And and I think again, it's that bit for me about it's important that if we do revisit things, we we kind of we we do look at it through a new lens, and we do Mm -hmm. actually think, you know, maybe we. Did find it funny the first time but it, it's it's not it's not time for this comedy anymore and, and we need to put it away and I know there was a big kind of national debate about faulty towers and how you know really inappropriate some of that humor was mm. uh, so I, I suppose you know it, it's that kind of bit isn't it, about d- we, we should we should revisit and but also throw away the things that aren't appropriate anymore shouldn't we yeah
0: and um, you know better do better isn't it
2: yeah, I mean the things. I mean, comedy um, doesn't age well, um, and because it's it's cultural and it's about the demographic and it's about the standards and the views of the time. I mean, some people would say, "Don't you dare touch the classics," you know? "Don't you dare not st- not show Forty Towers." I mean, there were some absolute classic moments in Forty Towers, but it doesn't age well. It hasn't aged well. A lot of comedy hasn't aged well. Um, should we? Been it, and then engage in the council culture. Um, I, I'm I'm not sure because I think we need to learn from that. If you want to, look, if you want to know where we're going, I think you have got to know where we've come from. Um, and I don't think we can just erase um, certain elements of comedy that are out there. Um, but no, it doesn't age well. I mean, and I don't, and I don't find things funny that I thought thought funny then. I mean, I remember mm. as a kid, my family laughing hysterically at Jim Davidson. And mm. Bernard Manning, you know, and, and the thought, <laughs> the thought mm. now of, of of um, me thinking, is that funny now? Kind of fills me with a bit of fear, really, because I think to myself, gosh, what 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 shifted in my own thinking to make me now realise that perhaps that isn't okay, you know?
0: But don't forget, you know, it's gone differently as well. I remember being a kid and seeing South Legend, but not the nine o'clock news with yeah. comfortable savage. Yeah. And that must have been what the early eighties. Yeah, yeah. And they were absolutely calling out racism in the police force, brutality, mm-hmm. inappropriate stop and search, and it was spot on. You know, when it, when the one guy, one poor guy, gets arrested for uh, loitering with intent to use a public crossing, and he's just like pressing the button waiting for the green man, and it's just, and 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 they kind of, that kind of cut straight through. So there are people, I think, who who lead the way in terms of comedy. You know, they absolutely call stuff out and they they, they yeah. really raise important issues. So I think when we all just look back and say, oh, there's some dodgy stuff gone down. Well, yeah, yeah. But because it's because people are in it and there's some good stuff and some bad stuff. And yeah. some stuff has absolutely changed the way that that the society thinks and what society thinks is yeah. acceptable. Yeah. yeah they've changed it. You know, when absolutely. you like a comedian, you tend to, or, or a performer, you know, kind of daytime television type, like comedy, you can you can leverage that personhood, can't you? See the people. Yeah. So when you look at sort of, you know, people who have come out LGBT and stuff like that, when they have really raised that issue, when they've been liked, and then all of a sudden it changes somebody who doesn't know anybody or they think they don't know anybody who has that sexuality, and then all of a sudden it changes things for them because they're laughing and they're smiling. That goodwill spills over and it changes the way they see society. That stuff is huge, and people have gone out on some real limbs to actually make people think differently or challenge what people think is okay. And just because the majority of people think something doesn't mean it's right, does it?
2: Yeah, exactly. exactly. Amazing
0: stuff's happened in comedy.
2: There there was absolutely amazing stuff. And I mean, the 80s was great for that. And there were some characters in the 70s as well who refused to be different. And, you know, Larry Grayson, who was huge, I loved as a kid, because he he was just, he was naturally so funny. And he, Mm -hmm. he was a bit of a hero of mine, really, in terms of comedy, because, he didn't mean to be anything other than who he was as, a, as an individual, you know, mm. uh, you know, a, a, a gay man who, um, was, uh, very, uh, open about his, his sexuality, um, but also, um, had an intensely private life, but also as well, um, was hilarious. I mean, he just was, he was funny in so much that he said and did and refused to, to not be who he was. Um, mm. But no, but I think, I mean, some of the situational comedy was 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 desperate in the 70s, really. Desperate. A lot of
0: things um, were desperate in the 70s when you look back
2: on them. It, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, indeed, yeah. On the buses, gosh, you know, that was something I used to... I Let's know.
0: not even go there.
2: <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Please not There don't. are no buses anymore. <laughs> keep from On the Buses, eh? What a character he was.
0: So, um, Loveless Binia said, at this present moment, thank God for people with humour posting funny videos. I have to say, I've been loving the memes. So many things helped me to calm down, particularly at the start of lockdown when it suddenly felt like a shared joke, but made, made me feel much more connected to community. Yeah. And I have to say, I'm a, I'm a fiend for a meme. I love them. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Some of them are great. And I like the videos as well that show people being themselves. And have you seen the one of the, um, I think, yeah, she was a, a woman who was recently 100 years old who received a telegram, a, a card from the Queen. And uh, she opened it. It was filmed and, you know, perhaps expecting a, uh, and an emotional response, and she opened it up and uh, the, I think it was her care or relative said to her, you've got a card from the Queen, and she says, she doesn't give a shite about me. And that just was funny, because this, cause this woman has this card from the Queen, you know, and she says, what do I care about this? Not interested. And I, I thought that was funny. I've all been there.
0: I've elderly care. <laughs> you have to have very strong, strong, strongness inside yourself yeah. to hold yourself together during a brutal assault from an older person. <laughs> and they've, had, they've just had the practice. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. we're going to get to the stage where we need to finish up. Is there anything... Um, Dave, on social media that we need to sort of bring in. So we've talked about humour and mental health. We've talked about human wellness. We've talked about the functions maybe that humour can serve, um, benefits when it's toxic, some of the issues you might want to think about if you're a new practitioner. I wonder if maybe we can start to think about any sort of like last last ideas or things that we want to just finish on thinking.
1: Well, there's, there's nothing that I can find that we've missed. So yeah, definitely over to Matt for his closing thoughts.
2: The, the, the epilogue, the closing thoughts from that. Gosh, well, well, I, what would I say? I just would say is, is don't be afraid to be humorous. Don't be afraid to say what you think. If you epically cock up with your humor, learn from it and adapt it. Um, and just keep laughing. You know, for goodness sake, folks, this is a really, really difficult, stressful time at the moment. Find things to laugh at and connect with people who are on the same humorous wave you and use your humor in practice. Use your humor to um, develop really good relationships with people we work with because service users and patients really deserve um, professionals that can engage with them in ways that are really meaningful and use humor to, to, to champion that.
0: Fantastic, fantastic. (laughs) Amen. For
1: sure, for sure. Who's on next week, Dave? Uh, It is the rethink to be confirmed question mark. So Vanessa Uh is on the case to organise a great panel of guests for next week. So, uh, yeah.
0: Fantastic. So there's something to look forward to there. And I hope you've really enjoyed that. I have to say, 50 minutes went really fast today. So thank you very much, Matt. Much appreciated. And have a good evening, everyone. Good night.
2: Thanks. Bye.
0: Bye, See you next time.